0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, JJ Peterson. Hi, JJ. Hi, Don. I was just thinking about today's interview and Uh where we're going, and I realized... We actually read, like I read, welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast uh-huh. every week, and Tim always says, do it with more energy, so I have to do it again. Yes. But you know, we read this, and the reason we read it is because we want to get it right. We yep. want to say, hey, here's what this podcast is really about. It's about you becoming a leader who communicates clearly, yep. and a brand that communicates clearly so your marketing is clear and all that kind of stuff. The reason we read that is we try to frame everything that you're about to hear as somehow under that this banner. Is the, it,
1: this, is, this is why you're listening.
0: Yeah, and I think you and I have both learned—now, you knew this from a long time ago, and maybe I did too because I wrote books—the importance of words. Mm-hmm. Remember I used to say when people would show up at a StoryBrand marketing workshop, I'd say, Hey, you know, for the next couple of days, you're going to drink from a fire hydrant. We just got so much value for you. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then on our surveys, you get like five out of five stars. Loved it. was amazing. It was amazing. Any criticisms? Oh, well, you know, I felt like I was drinking from a fire hydrant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my staff actually came to me and said, "Please stop, hey, saying, please that. stop yeah. saying that." You please stop saying that. They're not drinking from a fire hydrant. Like we yeah. work very hard to pace this thing yeah. out, and we—it's it, it, true—we work very hard to pace it out so nobody gets fatigued. Yeah, but you were saying that in terms of framing. I, yeah, it of I would value. say get great. They're value. getting a
1: ton of stuff here. You're going to get a ton of stuff over the next couple of days.
0: Yeah, and then so I started saying, "Well, first of all, we made some changes, so nobody felt like they were drinking from a fire hydrant. Yeah. So we actually fixed some things. But then I would start saying, Hey this thing is perfectly paced and blah, blah, blah. And then in our surveys, we got, it's so perfectly paced. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the times when I realized what you say frames reality yeah. for a lot of people. And as leaders, you're framing reality. I'm not talking about spinning something yeah. for positive. Yep, exactly. You know, I always, when I have to address a hard situation, I usually say, what's the whole truth? What's the hard truth? And what's the most optimistic attitude we can have toward it? Yeah. And that's what I want to present. Yeah. I want to give us the best chance at hope and light, yep. no matter how hard things are. And you do that, leaders do that with the words that they use. Have you ever had a, a situation where you had to do that?
1: Yeah. Actually, I was dean of students at a college and the president resigned. And it was kind of sudden. I knew it was coming, but we were in a room with the students, staff, and faculty. I'm on stage with him. He resigns, hands me the microphone and walks off stage. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. And in that moment, I had to frame the situation, acknowledge the pain of the moment. We loved him. Kids are crying. People, staff, faculty, kids are crying in the room. Mm. And I had to acknowledge that this was a really difficult situation. But then in that same moment, bring hope and say, we have the ability to come together and move forward and accomplish what we were called to do, which was for these kids, graduate and go out and change the world.
0: Yeah. I had the same... Well, you were there. I had the same sort of thing at the beginning of the year. We had some leadership turnaround in the company. I mean, you remember. Mm -hmm. And it was all positive. But at the same time, the staff was coming back from Christmas break. And all of a sudden, the CEO is gone. I'm back to CEO. And all that was super positive. But we just did it without anybody really noticing we were doing it or, or really acknowledging we were doing it. And to turn around and say, here's what the company is. Here's what it's always been. Here's where we're going here's the struggles that we're facing, here's why your role is important in the company, here's where we're going to be 12 months from now and kind of take that vacuum that could have easily developed mm-hmm. and fill it with something. Yeah. And you know, I've always said giving a good speech or you know speaking words into life like this is like building a sidewalk across a field. You know, if you got mm-hmm. a giant field with some mud pits in it and some holes and some landmines, the leader's job is to frame reality in such a way that people can find a sidewalk that they can walk on. That I'm choosing to view life like this. It just couldn't be more important. And Chris Anderson knows how to frame ideas. (laughs) Of
1: all people in the world. Yeah, as
0: CEO of TED, this guy, I mean, you've had friends who've had to give TED Talks. I've been asked a couple times and one was in Norway and didn't want to fly all the way over there. And the other time they want to give me a talk, I didn't want to give. But So I've not yet had the pressure of actually really preparing for a TED Talk, but I've had friends who've done it. They'll cancel a whole week and hire a coach. They take it very, very seriously. Uh, You know, Chris knows about that kind of pressure and he knows when you have to say something important, here's how you do it. Yeah. And you know, this is a fantastic interview. And anybody who leads knows they frame reality with their words. Yep. And the words a leader uses matters. And I think anybody listening to this podcast needs to know that, because anybody who would be interested in this podcast is a leader. You may not think you are, but there's no other reason for you to listen to this unless you've got some pressure on to make something grow and to frame reality for people. So uh, what a gift for us to be able to interview Chris, and what a gift for all of us to be able to listen and learn from his wisdom. So I don't want to wait any longer. Chris Anderson, CEO of TED. Uh, you have got a book out and I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by all things TED, but it's called TED Talks: The Official TED Guide to Public Speaking. And you've been the CEO of TED for how long? I took it over 15 years ago. You're sort of responsible for its growth, is that right? I mean, you're you're responsible for this worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> Can I give
2: you credit? Timing is everything, right? And uh, a <laughs> yeah. great team of people comes together and magic happens. But um before back I mean 15 years ago, TED was a once-a-year Conference in California covering technology, entertainment, design—that's the TED—and um, it was a very special conference because it was broader than most conferences. A different type of speaking was kind of forced on speakers. Really, they had to make their content accessible, and um, the result right. was surprisingly inspiring and whatever. But it, but it was just a once-year conference, and so in the last 15 years, you know, it's become possible to let out the magic that was happening there to the broader world. And um, the key thing that made that possible was online video, which which uh, really didn't happen until 2006. Yeah, So it's been the last 10, 11 years that Ted has has become known, shall
0: we say. Well, you know, I think the brevity of the talks, uh, the video, all that played into it a great deal. But as a company, StoryBrand helps people clarify their message. And what amazes me about Ted is what you led with here. And that's that these people were having to put the cookies on a lower shelf. They were having to simplify their thesis, if you will, so that the audience could understand. And there's... There's something about making things really clear, regardless of what you're talking about, that the human mind engages. I mean, we engage things, almost no matter what it is, when they are extremely clear and our minds can get wrapped around them fairly easily. To me, that's the magic of TED. Would you agree with that? And I'd love for you to reiterate again why you thought it was so important to help speakers communicate very clearly to an audience.
2: <laughs> I think that is a key part of the reason. It's, it's making important subject matter accessible to people outside your field. It's surprisingly hard to do. Almost every speaker suffers from something that is called the curse of knowledge. Which yeah, is,
0: Leela Fever coined that, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. When you know something, you forget what it's like not to know it. And right. so you, you always make assumptions, You use jargon, or you just don't get why someone is puzzled because you've moved on. And so that, that is how many talks fail, just by not starting where the audience is, and not using the audience's language, if you like, to build a case or to explain an idea. And so you have yeah, this discipline of, of saying, you know, here, you're deliberately, you're not talking to people in your own field, you're talking to the broader public. So let's simplify, sure. You know, there's um, a saying attributed to Einstein that says, you should make things as simple as they can be, but no simpler. So <laughs> you don't simplify to the point of taking away the value, but you just describe what you want to say really carefully, starting from the ground up and avoiding assumptions that are going to throw your audience off. And that, that is definitely part of the magic. That's part of it.
0: I have a friend who just did a TEDx talk here in Nashville. And a few weeks before his talk, we happened to be vacationing together. Our wives, we all vacationed together. And he was just beside himself, so completely nervous. <laughs> you know, he had a binder of information that he wanted to Communicate. He was just completely nervous. And I found myself, you know, trying to help him, but also, you know, frustrated myself about how do we simplify this information? I, I, You've must have had a million people come to you with the same problem. In fact, Scott Hamilton, the uh, Olympic gold medalist, was scheduled to give a TED talk on all of his work advocating for cancer patients and finding a cure for cancer. And again, he came to me, came into my office with a binder. <laughs> I thought, well, we're not going to be able to get through this in 18 minutes. And so we spent a good half day together. Where do you start with somebody who comes to you with a binder?
2: <laughs> yeah, you can't turn a binder into, into a talk. That's the first thing. Yeah. Like the, the, the very first step you have to take, and it's actually the hardest step, uh-huh. is to slash back at least half, maybe more of the content you actually want to cover. Right. Because otherwise, you're just going to cover it super surface level. And that's, that's not interesting. No one wants a talk that is just a summary of five different things at surface level. Right. You've got to pick one thing. And then unpack it properly, deeply, you know, show why it matters, give examples, say why you've been puzzled about it.
0: I want to pause you there. You, you think having sort of one point is about all you're going to be able to get through well? is Am I hearing you correctly?
2: No, not, not one point, but one through line, one core idea on which everything else in the talk hangs. Right. So you might, as you develop it, it's typically like you know, here's something that I've got really passionate about or intrigued by. Here's why it matters to me, and here's why it should matter to you. And here's why it's a riddle, or here's why the obvious things you might think about it don't actually make sense. So mm-hmm. let's think about this. You know, here is one way of thinking about it. Now, that would mean, for example, this, and for example, this. In that structure, you kind of go in deeper to one idea. But we, I definitely believe that the best talks are anchored on a single through line, we call it. Everything should be tied to
0: it. Can you give me an example of what a through line looks like? I mean, you know, some of the better talks or some of the more viewed talks, Ken Robinson, I remember his, his second yeah. TED Talk where he walks to the stage and he says, several years ago I was asked to give a TED Talk, they only gave me 18 minutes. And so, as I was saying, <laughs> it was just the greatest <laughs> opening line ever. <laughs> which was, which <laughs> is a funny line.
2: Well, I mean, his first, his first talk that's been seen by 40 million people yeah. is... um. A lot of it was humor, but the through line was creativity in schools really matters. Like everything right. connected back to that. The stories he was telling basically all connected to that one point. He's got a thousand things to say about education, but, but it was really focused on, creativity. on that through line. Yeah, yeah, and how it, sort of it was broad
0: enough that he could cover a wide range of points then, I guess, but specific enough that it felt like the talk was about one thing.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: So how do you keep it short? I have a 50-minute talk that I give, 5-0, and I'm having to get it down to 25 minutes for an upcoming conference. I actually found the process kind of fun, and I was shocked when I actually I brought in somebody to help me to look at my 50-minute talk on video and help me trim it down. And I was actually shocked, right. after having given this talk no less than 50 times, how much stuff I was saying that simply didn't need to be said. And I'm a professional. I mean, this is what I do. It was amazing to me how liberating it was to say, wait, we can get this down to 25 minutes, and it's going to be even better. How do you keep it short? How do you convince people to keep it short?
2: I I think the the first key is not to say, okay, let's divide the talk into 10 five-minute segments, and we're going to cut each of those into two and a half-minute segments and make that work, because that probably won't work. That means that all the detail and the examples and the stories get cut. I think the way to do it is to look at it and say, we can't say everything that was in this talk. What, what's the thing I most want to say in 25 minutes? Right. Uh, what, what really matters most to this audience? What would be the biggest gift to this audience? Start with that. And then ruthlessly cut the rest out, but keep the parts of the talk that are about that and develop those. So that would be my advice to me. It? it is hard to do.
0: Walk me through how a talk should begin. I mean, how, when somebody walks to the stage, you know, I remember Gary Haugen's talk with International Justice Mission. He said, I'm trying to be a better crier. That's a wonderful mm. beginning. You know, it's a hook. It's like, And you're saying, why should you be a better crier? And, of course, he's talking about the reality that's happening in the world that he's so distanced from. How should a talk begin, in your opinion?
2: Well, I think the first thing is to come to the stage with the attitude that your job is to give a gift to the audience. Mm. So many people come saying, okay, this is my opportunity. I'm going to present myself. I'm going to sell a product. I'm going to make a case. I'm going to raise funding. It's about you and you're trying to get something from the audience. Right. And the trouble with that is, is that the audience immediately sees through that and shuts mm. down mm. and kind of resents it. Yeah. Um, what you need to do is to come with a stance of generosity and say, I've got an idea, a cool idea in my mind. But if I can share it with these people, it's actually going to empower them to make their future better and <laughs> help them yeah. see the world more more interestingly, more wisely. And uh, so that's the gift I'm going to give them. And if you start from that point of view, everything else then follows from that. Then what you have to say is, well, what would stop someone opening their mind to me? Well, lots of things. Skepticism. People are naturally skeptical. You don't want any stranger poking around in your mind. So it does make sense with a talk to reveal your own um, your own humanity, if you like. In some cases, your own vulnerability. Like a lot of great talks start with some kind of vulnerable comment like that one you mentioned, Gary Haugen, or or, right. or something humorous yeah. that makes, makes people just relax. Okay, it's going to be fun with this person. I can trust them to open up my mind just a little bit. And then you have your chance, and then you can start teasing them with curiosity. Some of these speakers just plow into a subject matter, forgetting that the audience may not understand why it even matters or why it's interesting. So start with curiosity. Start with showing why this thing matters. You've got to take your audience on the journey. So, you've got to tell them what, where you're heading and, and why it's actually worth going there. And so, so, the way not to start a talk is to go on, you know, well, first of all, let me thank the following seven people <laughs> for this honor, a wonderful occasion. I'm so honored to be here. Right. It's so great that I got the invite. But that is, yeah, deeply boring for the most part. Instead, you know, find the strong opening, the moment that immediately grabs people's attention and make them realize that you're doing this for them. You're there to intrigue and excite them.
0: I remember Nancy Duarte when she sort of opened the story loop by saying something to the effect of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and Steve Jobs' iPhone announcement rollout are almost identical in terms of form. That opens a story loop for the audience because everybody's going, how in the world are you putting that together? Mm. Is that what you mean when you say Mm. explore curiosity, make the audience go, okay, now you got to explain that?
2: Exactly. Start strong. Like Say something where people immediately want to know more. Mm -hmm. How did you get that? I am interested to hear the argument on this one. Yes, exactly.
0: What trends do you see in TED Talks that seem to resonate really well with the audience? What are two or three things that speakers do that the audience seems to respond to?
2: It's constantly changing, and it should change. You know, one of of the traps of speaking is to try and look at what other speakers have done and try and copy it. Right. And so for a year or two, we, we did have a slightly annoying tendency of speakers would come on and they would, it would be overly emotional. You know, they'd pull out the family picture and uh, talk about some deep tragedy that happened to them and then go through, you know, that. And you can have too much of that. As we've we've been preparing for TED 2017 in the last month and seeing some speakers in rehearsal, and it's actually been amazing to me how much innovation is going on. People are trying new things, like a couple of speakers presenting on more than one screen simultaneously. Mm. The pace of speaking is actually picking up. I think this is partly driven by YouTube and by a slightly more frenetic culture. But a lot of traditional speaking coaches will say, slow down. You know, you should speak at 100 words a minute and let every point land. (laughs) I think what people respond to most right now is conversational speech. And that's the best way of connecting with an audience is you imagine a group of friends at dinner, you're sitting there and you're updating them on what you're excited about. and that intimate very very human connection is what resonates most traditional oration i mean you can save it for a few key sentences but i think people really want speakers to to spit it out and move on (laughs) Yeah.
0: i'll be back with the rest of my interview with chris anderson in just a moment All right, well, this is another segment of Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan. Hi, Kula. Hi, Don. And today, what is the myth that everybody is doing they shouldn't be doing as it relates to marketing?
3: Today's myth is this. You should never repeat yourself in your marketing.
0: What do you mean by never repeat yourself?
3: So a lot of people think, well, I've already said this on my website. I've already said this in an email. I shouldn't say this again. Mm. The truth is you actually should say it again. It takes people listening to something about eight times for them to actually remember it. Were
0: you amazed when I read that? Because I remember reading that. The eighth time they hear the same thing, they begin to process it.
3: Well, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? People are being bombarded with all these commercial messages all day long. So the thing that they hear the most is what they're going to remember. Yeah. So you need to say something, little something. Sound bites over and over and over again so that your customers remember who you are and how you solve their problems.
0: There once was a man who got elected president by repeating the same phrase over and over and over, make America great again. And he put it on hats and like him or not, that's what's called branding. And no other candidate did it. They didn't do it at all. You can learn from that in growing your company. You know, I've actually had this experience, cooler where I branded a cow one time. A buddy of mine had some cattle Incredible. and I got to go brand. <laughs> and you're laying over the back of the cow, and you take the brand, and you punch them right in the rear end, and it smells like hamburger. The cow mm. doesn't feel it the same way you and I might feel it, so he kind of goes, you know, that kind of hurts. <laughs> what would happen if I took another brand and I put it over the top of that one, and another one over the top of that one, and another one over the top of that Pretty soon, you just have a convoluted mess. That's what most brands are. Because they have not come up with a clear message in a soundbite that they can repeat over and over. That's right. That is branding and repeating yourself in email after email, website after website, speech after speech. Teach it to your sales staff. Teach it to your team. Say the same thing over and over, and that's what branding is. Well, and
3: one thing also to remember with never repeating yourself, one thing that you can never say enough is buy now. So one thing yeah. we see a lot mm-hmm. with clients that we work with is that they just aren't asking customers to buy their product or service. So speaking technically on a website or something, you can't ever have enough "buy now" buttons. So right. when you think you've said it too much, you probably actually haven't said it enough. Right. So you need to say "buy now" over and over and over. It on should your be website. the
0: obvious button to press, and it should as you scroll down the website, it should repeat it over and over.
3: Right. So don't fall victim to the myth that <laughs> you should never repeat yourself, especially with calls to action.
0: Yeah, especially with direct calls to action, you're losing money if you're not repeating yourself. Kula, this has been absolutely terrific. Listen, if you want to save money on marketing, you want to stop wasting money on marketing, we've got a series for you at marketingmoneypit.com. It's a free video series at marketingmoneypit.com. People waste enormous amounts of money on marketing. They spend tons of money, and they get no return on their investment. And In our opinion, that is completely wrong. It should not cost you a lot of money to do effective marketing. In fact, I built my company from $250,000 to 3.6 million. This year we'll go between 6 and 7 million. What worked were five things that I kept doing over and over, and you can do them too. If you want to find out what they are, go to marketingmoneypit.com. That's marketingmoneypit.com. Let me ask you some really famous TED Talks. You know, of course, Nancy Duarte, you've got Ken Robinson. Let's talk about Brene Brown and her talk on yep. vulnerability, which obviously blew up. Can you dissect that for me and say you know, here's, from my opinion, why that talk blew up? Whether it was the authentic moment or stepping into the vulnerability mm-hmm. that she told us that she was afraid of. The idea that it resonated with the audience, that people are afraid to be vulnerable. And I'm just using her as, a, as an example, but why do you think that talk blew up when others
2: may not have? I mean, she identified something that everyone views as a weakness and made it a strength. Hmm. If someone's feeling vulnerable about something, about some part of themselves, they usually don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So for her to come and say, look, actually, when you're vulnerable, you actually invite the best from someone else, and you invite a connection that you won't otherwise have, that was just, um, just deeply swelling to a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And then, of course, she, she gave the talk in a way that um, you know, showed her own vulnerability she's completely charming and funny and so that that definitely helps but i think it was um it was a message that resonated There's there's a lot of people who suffer from a form of imposter syndrome they think i don't deserve to be here i don't you know and they're frightened to say anything about that what she was saying is let go of the fear you know actually that could be the most empowering thing you do
0: speaking of fear and vulnerability why do you suppose so many people are so afraid to speak publicly
2: it is a deep fear, and it's very widely cited by people. If you ask people what they're so afraid of, public speaking comes up first almost. I don't think it's as intense a fear as, <laughs> I don't know, jumping off a cliff or, yeah. or being um, buried in tarantulas, but it's, it's the one that people mention first. I think it, um, it goes to reputation. Like Reputation really matters. Mm. I don't know. If you imagine where public speaking sort of deeply formed in our psyche, which is around campfires hundreds of thousands of years ago and the power of storytelling and the terror of ostracism, I think. You know, if you were up in front of a group of people and you blew it and the group turned on you, that could be life or death um, yeah. in a world where, you know, you, you were dependent for your survival on the village. And I think it's about that. And and today, you know, your reputation can indeed be massively impacted by whether you do well or badly in a social setting that, that is as visible as, public speaking, we're social creatures. And so... I think the fear in some ways is legitimate, but, but fear is there for a reason, right? It's, it's meant to motivate yeah. you to, to take the steps to address it. And in this case, it's absolutely possible for almost anyone to, to do that. I give a couple of stories in the book about how Monica Lewinsky, for example, came to TED so frightened, so frightened of giving the talk.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you for a story about because Monica Lewinsky, I mean, this is somebody who should have been talking a long time ago, not telling gossipy stories, but who had a voice, something incredible happened to her that right. has happened to only a handful of people in the history of the world. Did you sit with her and say, I think you have something to say, I think you you should say it?
2: Yeah, one of my colleagues spent uh, a lot of time with her and um, she was ready to come and reemerge. but it, it took an act of extreme courage on her part and, and a lot of wisdom to figure out the right way to give the talk and rehearse it and get ready and she she was heart pounding, and nervous coming to TED oh. and um almost withdrew at one point and but she ended up giving a wonderful talk that I don't know it's been yeah, yeah. by no, I don't I've know such Subject more than eight million people now mm. I think my view is if she could overcome public fear of speaking pretty much anyone can you know it's in how you prepare is the main thing multiple rehearsals for a big talk really help and having kind of like a fallback measure like having like if you're trying to give a talk without notes, for example, have have the script or notes somewhere backstage with a bottle of water so that you can escape to them, you know, have a sip of water and mm. you know, you're not worried about actually freezing like a deer in the headlights. And and if if it comes to it, just tell the audience you're nervous, they actually respond to it. You know, as you can see, I'm feeling a little nervous, but actually the subject really matters to me. So bear with me, wow. bear with me. And um, people love that. Being authentically you is, is key.
0: Chris, I have two final questions and they're similar, but they are different. You're sitting in the audience, and a magical moment happened, and you realize this is why TED exists, for these moments. Can you just tell us about one of those moments?
2: I mean, look, there did many. There was a wonderful moment last recently at TED where a Muslim woman, Dalia Mogahed, came and gave a talk. And it was right at the time when you know, there was a lot of um, Islamophobia and, um she you know came on stage wearing headscarf, um, but just spoke in a way that completely connected with everyone in the room and it's kind of like a talk that you'd want everyone to listen to because it, it it definitely helps anyone reframe how they think of Muslims or the you know the Muslim threat um, and so forth and mm. at, the, at the moment that that happened that was that was a beautiful moment I would say that was one I mean for me, for someone who's more from a sort of um, mind-shifting point of view, I still remember and, and love uh, a talk by Stephen Pinker, gosh, 10 years ago now, on arguing that, that violence was in long-term decline, that contrary to the impression given by news and so forth.
0: Yeah, I saw that talk. I, yeah. I, yeah. That we, we're wrong about the idea that the world is getting worse.
2: So so that that wasn't a talk given in form of rhetoric, and let me tell you my personal story, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It was the calm, reasoned argument of a brilliantly logical mind. and i I love that kind of talk a lot. and just the mind shift that it brings, because if he's right, and I think he argued the case incredibly well, it changes a worldview from being basically a dark worldview. things getting worse. to actually, no, humans are a kind of Slowly but surely, and with lots of setbacks, conquering, you know, one of the huge problems that's beset us over our entire history. Hmm. And that talk that can give you that kind of mind shift I really, really love. And that talk then led to a book that was amazing. And know, um, I think even despite what's happened in the last couple of years, his argument still holds.
0: Well, this is a similar question. You may have already answered it, but what is a talk that we should all see, but, but we probably haven't?
2: I think there's a family of talks basically around happiness. Hmm. Dan Gilbert, um, Barry Schwartz, yeah. for starters. Like Barry Schwartz argues that there's a paradox around choice, that you think that more choice makes you more happy, and it turns out that's not so, that you can have too much choice, and it actually adds to stress in your life. It's a beautifully argued talk. And um, Dan Gilbert has talked a talk about how the brain synthesizes happiness in ways that are not intuitive to us at all. Hmm. And that we're kind of we're often tricked by our minds into into imagining what will make us happy and and we're often wrong about that. So I mean I think I just think that the science of happiness is counterintuitive and incredibly important. Yeah. and if if more people understood it, the world would be, well, a happier place.
0: Your work has made the world a better place. There's no question about it, and I, I think you've made the world a happier place, and I'm, I'm very grateful for what you're doing. I think it's important work. The book is called TED Talks, the official TED Guide to Public Speaking. The author is, Our guest today, Chris Anderson. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thanks, Don. Great talking to you. Take care.
0: All right, well, he's pretty good. He's (laughs) he's so humble. Yeah. I kind of took this a lot to heart. It will have already passed by the time this interview comes out, but I have to give a big talk coming up at a conference called Leadercast. Yeah. And it's a hundred and 20,000 business leaders. Mm-hmm. I've been sweating this one. <laughs> and I don't normally sweat these things, but I really have worked very hard on, you know, I went through the Mike Pacquiao interview that we did yeah. and now the Chris Sanders interview and I'm working on it, but obviously just some really practical tips. But next week, yes. we go from practical To very inspirational. Although there's a lot of practical in our interview with Caitlin Crosby, too. Yes. She is CEO of The Giving Keys. She accidentally started a company that is now, (laughs) I don't know how many thousands of these pieces of jewelry she's selling every week. They're beautiful, they're meaningful. I've had one, you've had one. Probably a lot of you have. But do you know the story behind The Giving Keys? Do you know the story of her being frustrated at scaling up this organization? Do you know the story of an artist trying to act like a CEO? If you don't, you're going to love next week's interview. In fact, I'll play a clip for you Right now, just to get you excited, here's a piece of my interview with Caitlin Crosby, founder of The Giving Keys.
4: You know, if you find success in whatever avenue, whatever job and career you have, it is so hard. I think sometimes you just get to feeling numb. Like I have a friend who won an Academy Award and all these things, and she she was like, yeah, I just feel numb. Like it's so hard sometimes when you find success to, it really is not the thing that's going to bring you happiness and Mm. fulfillment. So I think what I do is I just have to spend that time with those individuals where you have, you know, your phone is down. This is not about a new project. This isn't about a new product. It's not about something we're going to put on a website. It's just about that human connection. And that is the thing that just keeps me going 100%. Mm. And I think even going to events and listening to customers share their stories of why they gave their key away or how they got their key and just trying so hard to drown out all the noise around and just be focused on that and let that sink in and let it sink in how people's lives are really being changed. That That's definitely the thing that keeps, that keeps me going.
0: All right, so we've got that to look forward yes. to. Yes. Wonderful time there again with Caitlin Crosby. Listen, we have a great offer for you. If you have been interested in story brand, listening to the podcast, knowing that you need to clarify your message, but you've not done anything about it so far, we've got a great entry to our framework that I want you to take advantage of. My book, Building a StoryBrand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen, comes out October 10th. Woo-hoo. I know. It's it. You know, we realized the other day it's been four years since I started writing the book. Really? Yeah, because I started writing it, took a break, wrote Scary Close, released that, and then, and then picked up this book this. again as we yeah. built the company. But this has the entire framework in it. This book does. And you're saying, Don, October 10th is a long way away. We have a great offer for you. If you go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, you can pre-order the book. It's just right there. You pre-order it. You pre-order it, they wait till the book comes in, then they ship it to you. So you're going to have to wait months. However, if you forward that receipt, because you know they email your receipt, Mm -hmm. just hit forward, send it to book at storybrand.com, book at storybrand.com. That's an email address, book at storybrand.com. We will send you what's called an advanced reader's copy. This is a bound paperback version of the book. You'll get it in the mail. They'll put it in the mail right away. And you will get that copy of the book. You can read the book. You can take advantage of the free online software that is gorgeous. <laughs> and at the end of the night, you will have your brand message clearly on one page online. And you can send that to people, and you're just going to love it. It's an amazing tool. But all that comes with the book. And the book is something like 20 bucks or something like that on Amazon. But for that price, you get the ARC, the Advanced Reader's Copy, now Then on October 10th, you get surprised with a hardback, so you can give away the advanced reader's copy. Actually, I would keep the advanced reader's copy because (laughs) there's not very many of them, and it's a special offer, so you get that. So give away the hard copy to somebody else and keep that one, and it's just a bonus that you get for pre-ordering the book. You get the book, you get the software, and then you get the book again. Yes. So if you've been interested in the book but you haven't bought it yet, you want to take advantage right away. The publisher is only going to have a limited – they actually started with 1000 and then went to 2,000 copies, and it's been so successful. They're continuing. Yeah. I don't know when they're going to say, hey, we're not no we're not sending <laughs> yeah. free books anymore. Because I think it costs like three bucks to print it and three bucks to ship it. Yeah. And, and we're like, just trying to be really quiet. Yeah, yeah, like,
1: yeah come on, give us a few more. Yeah, give, give us a, a few more. Like,
0: and these are the copies that like the New York Times gets and U.S. Yeah. News and all that kind of stuff. So they're really, really cool. So just pre-order the book on Barnes & Noble or Amazon. When you get the receipt, forward that receipt to book at storybrand.com. We will do the rest You have to do nothing else. No more money exchanges hands. It goes to Amazon just for the price of the book. You get two books and you get the online software. It is a limited time. So you want to take advantage right away. Well, JJ, it's been another terrific episode of the Building a Story Brand podcast. Always love doing this with you. Yes. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks as always for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to give a TED Talk.